I'm joined by Mr. Caldwell, Alo, and Alexei, and let's get into it. So right off the bat, what are our general reactions to WandaVision? So, um... Oh, yeah, you, you, I was about to say I'll volunteer to go last because I think my opinions are, like, based on what I know so far from you guys, I think my opinions will be very different from what you guys have to say. Alright, All right. Okay, um, I'll give my perspective first as being a largely and mainly a DC fan. Not of the movies, those are atrocities, but um, I quite enjoyed the first few episodes of WandaVision. I thought it started off really strong and um, it was very enticing, but I felt as if the story sort of declined as we got near the finale. And it just didn't uphold the same sort of quality that we were brought into with the first few episodes. Um, it felt a little forced towards the end, but I, I, I overall enjoyed it. Um, I wish that it ended better, but I can't complain too much considering it's just a TV show and um, it gave almost as much sort of, I guess like effort and almost presented itself as if it was a movie. Yeah, I think, for me at least, I'm a huge fan of the Uncanny Valley sci-fi style of, of media, right? So whether it's things like, there are a lot of TV shows like 12 Monkeys that kind of fall into that category, and WandaVision pitched itself as that. And I think as we got further on, it became very clear that Marvel and Disney were not going to take that and run with it, and they wanted to play it safe. I think part of that's because this was our first MCU content in over a year, and even without COVID, this still would have been the first MCU content to occur that progresses the story, because obviously Black Widow is kind of an anthology thing. So for me at least, like you, Lux, I, I was really excited going into it. I was really excited for the first few episodes, and then once we got to episode five or six, those who don't know, it was only like an eight-episode show. Once we got to episode five or six, I started to realize, okay, this is going to be pretty generic and what have you. And I think as we'll get into in a little bit, they also introduced a lot of things that never really panned out the way we wanted them to. And so that definitely, uh, that definitely brought down my overall enjoyment of the show. Mr. Caldwell, what about you? So it's funny. I really enjoyed it. And I've talked with Jordan about this. My, my hatred for Wanda Maximoff as a character um, is well known only because I'm a big X-Men comic book fan. And if you ever read the House of M storyline and the stuff after that, you know, the effect Wanda's had on the universe. Um, that said, she's a well-written character. And I think that she was a well-written character in the MCU universe and definitely well-written in this particular story. And I appreciated that. The traits that sort of make Wanda very, very complicated, but for me, make her sort of an enemy, in my opinion, in terms of mutants or stuff like that, I think they played up pretty well here. So in terms of characterization from comic book to screen, I think that they nailed her character. And that's what I was really looking for. Can they get it right? Can they move the characters from comic book to screen accurately? And I felt that they did. Um, the trope of the television shows, I thought were very, very clever. And I thought that that was well done. I thought overall it was well written. While yes, we did sort of get the classic end to any Marvel property sort of big battle at the end. Something that I did think was interesting was the battle between the two visions. And, you know, I think that that was really interesting and unique 
if not the battle that Wanda has at the end. Um, and I thought that the Easter egg at the end was interesting. And we'll talk about some other themes I know too, sort of about sort of what are the larger consequences. But that said, I overall, I liked it. I, I thought that it was well done and well executed. Okay. Um, I can't remember the last time I was this disappointed after something that was hyped up um, for a decent amount of time. Um, I think what really, I don't want to say that the experience was ruined because I actually did have fun watching it. Um, and, you know, I will say that episodes one and two, I actually watched both of them on the same day. Um, so, you know, after watching them, I didn't really think much about the series up until the end of episode two, where you see um, like Wanda's first real um move that she kind of makes and like it kind of infers that she's controlling this universe when she um when she resets 20 seconds of time so that vision doesn't run into the, the person in the b costume um who we later find out is um a shield i mean not a shield agent sorry a, a sword agent trying to infiltrate the um the hex but i mean like once we got to i think end of episode four when we had um, the Quicksilver, when we had Quicksilver played by um, Evan Peters, like when his, when the second I saw the back of his hair, that's when I was, I, I think like I lost my mind. I, that, that point really, really got me on an emotional high. And I think the fact that they teased X-Men and then made a joke about it at the end that really, really killed me. I'm also, I actually prefer Evan Peters um, Quicksilver over MCU Quicksilver by a long shot. And- um, Aaron Johnson, I think. Yeah, Aaron Johnson. Yeah. Aaron Johnson, no, Evan Peters. Evan was, Peters just blows him out of the way. I mean, listen, the Days of Future Past Quicksilver scene was one of the best in movie, comic book movies. Although I completely agree with you, yeah. yeah. And like, and just to add on to that, I mean, you know, when anyone ever hears the song Sweet Dreams, the first thing everyone thinks about is Quicksilver. And that that scene, and you know, like my area of expertise would definitely be within the MCU. That being said, I think that that is by far one of the cool, and I know it is Marvel, but it's not MCU. It technically could have been if they introduced X-Men, but they didn't. But um, I think that that scene is by far one of my favorite superhero scenes of all time. And then on top of that too, I don't know if you guys got this sense, but I feel like I feel like the theories and the expectations for the show during like the middle of the season kind of threw off my experience a bit because you know I felt like we were all waiting for this Doctor Strange cameo that never happened. And we were all hoping for a very clear path into multiverse of madness, or depending on how the Spider-Man project is going to you know, come out to be like, we were expecting possibly, you know, a hint at um, the Spider-Verse. And I feel like we never got that. And although like, yes, we got a setup for secret invasion, you know, I don't know. I thought that the expectations for the show overall, you know, really kind of brought down the overall experience for me. So <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that because I do think that's a, that's a good point. It's, uh, to me at least, there's a lot of debate over whether it's the fans' fault that we overhyped the show and we over-theorized, or is it Marvel's fault? 
And I'm kind of in the camp of Marvel shot themselves in the foot a bit because Kevin Feige came out very clearly and said, this will be a massive MCU project. And anytime you hear that, you think multiple heroes, multiple storylines going in and coming out. And he said quite clearly, clearly, this will lead directly into Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2, which are both, from everything we know, multiverse projects. WandaVision didn't do that. Like, it's a self-contained story, which ordinarily I think would be fine, except for the fact, and this is not Marvel's fault, but to go from Endgame, which was the biggest film ever made, to a very small self-contained story like that, it's a little jarring. And on the second point, when you hear leads directly into two other films, you expect a tease. And especially when Paul Bettany makes a comment like, I'm, gonna, I'm working with an actor that I've wanted to work with my entire life who plays a massive MCU character, knowing that it's going to lead directly into Doctor Strange 2, and Benedict Cumberbatch is the only actor that Paul Bettany has not worked with from the Avengers cast, everyone naturally assumed that's who it was going to be. And said Paul Bettany, as it turned out, was making a joke about working with himself because there were two visions at one point. So I do think Marvel kind of needs to almost return to their phase two mindset, their phase one and phase two mindset of, we are no longer at the point we were in 2019. Our universe is gone. Like for all intents and purposes, marketing this to, to the audience is gonna be extremely difficult because we no longer have Iron Man, Black Widow, or Cap, and Thor is gonna be gone in a year. So I think they need to return to that mindset and they can't rest on their laurels and need to be a bit more careful, which to their credit, they have certainly been with Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki, maybe a bit more careful with how they market the show and how they talk about the show. Honestly, I definitely wish Abel theories and all that were, were a bit problematic. Yeah, I completely agree, Jordan. Like, um, coming off of Endgame, which sort of just blew every fan's mind and basically, and even like casual people probably um, were blown away by Endgame. I think that the way that Marvel now needs to approach these smaller projects is sort of, they're now building blocks for the next phase. They're not going to be these, they can't hype them up as these big, huge projects because our expectations have been raised by tenfold. Like it's even, it's uncomparable um, WandaVision and Endgame. Like you can't set those expectations. And I think that the way that Marvel should approach this is honestly to underwhelm people with what they should expect and then surprise them with the show. Because I think that WandaVision for the first few episodes, like I said, we're up to the hype. But then once we got towards the middle and we're not getting this sort of like, oh, exciting cameo, oh, more story plot. It's it, our expectations and our sort of feeling about the show begin to decline. And it so doesn't this, really. It's, it's funny. I feel like we should invite like the AP, not, I guess not AP psychology anymore, but psychology class here. So it's interesting. Are our reactions being shaped by A, how we watched the show and B, what were the expectations in the teaser? So it's funny. I literally watched the show in two sittings. I watched the first seven episodes Me and too. the next week I watched the other one because I was too busy to watch it as it came out. And so it's funny. I, I was totally, the only thing is that bothered me was 
the use of Evan Peters as an actor to set up a fairly juvenile joke, which yeah. I that for me was a little bit wasted. But I didn't go through four weeks of waiting to see if it would pan out. I went through a week to see if it would bring in my favorite characters, the X-Men, so, you know, or Mephisto. So I I get it, but it's our reaction shaped by how we watch the show. Yeah, I think I, I think that's definitely, it definitely plays a, a role. I remember reading a lot that a lot of a lot of commentary on the show that was very directly telling fans you need to remember how to watch a TV show, and that this isn't this isn't going to be instant gratification because no right. matter how long a movie is, it's instant gratification. You will know by the time you stand up everything that has happened. You may have some questions, but you'll know what's happening in the story. A TV show isn't like that. In the age of streaming and instant access, I do think there is some merit to the idea that people need to remember how to watch a TV show. On the flip side, Falcon and Winter Soldier, two-thirds of the way into the show, hasn't run into that problem. Like, they're, they're, they are still going extremely strong. I think Alexa is right. Part of that is, at least for me, I had zero expert expectation for that show. I assumed yeah. it would be a totally B-tier, you know, fisticuffs, rah-rah, normal Marvel project. And as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, once that show's over, it is so much more than that. WandaVision, this show, was, WandaVision was pitched as so much more than that, and it kind of dumped it. And I also think the last thing about Falcon Winter Soldier is I have to say my viewing experience so far has been going up. I'm more enjoying it as we're going. And it was completely the opposite for WandaVision. I feel like they did not run into the problem that The Mandalorian did where there were filler episodes, even though I felt as if that could have been a large problem, especially the way the show was designed, being a new sitcom from the next era or next decade. And I think they did a good job of avoiding that, but there wasn't, there was too much expectation put on the show and it sort of was its own, it was doomed from the beginning. That was a very good point in terms of, and I guess that was another reason why I really liked it. You know, I think about, I'm old, I guess, especially compared to you guys. So I think about albums and albums have so much filler in them. And one of my favorite rap albums of all time is Nas. Illmatic 1994. It's 10 tracks. There are no side filler. Every single song is amazing. I like that about WandaVision. There was no filler. And the MCU, Netflix MCU shows, one thing that they ran into is they would have, there were 13 episodes, so you were always going to get at least two or three episodes of filler. Whereas I felt like this did not run into that problem. Yeah, I agree. I think one thing we should we should also recognize just to give Disney a little bit of credit before we continue to rail on them for 30 minutes is this was their first high budget TV show. This is the first time Disney and Marvel ever tried to make a TV show within the MCU and something that can reach the quite literally billions of people who watch the MCU. So I think on a technical front, they did do a good job. I think they accomplished their mission of can we actually make the MCU in long form format? And they did. Um, we can get into you know the, some of the writing stuff that I'm sure a lot of us have gripes of that stuff in the set. 
Raven, we should just take a moment and appreciate the achievement that is long-form MCU content, because that changes the game going forward, at least in my opinion. 100%. I, I think that's really important. And once again, you had the Netflix MCU TV universe, which was more hit than miss, but certainly had some misses. Uh, I mean, Iron Fist was a mess, uh, you know. That's, I think... Yeah. I think that the Netflix uh, Marvel shows actually did better than expected because, again, I don't think there was much. Hi- I don't think that there was much sort of like hype or expectation for those shows, and um, I think that for people who sort of knew who like Iron, who people like Iron Fist were, and who are like avid fans of the comic books, were more disappointed. But I think that where those shows succeeded was in that they were sort of this new format for Marvel. And they sort of, I, they sort of brought into, and they sort of brought a new format in for this next stage. I feel like by putting out those shows, they're able to weed out certain strategies for, um, for creating episodes. Like for example, we didn't have filler episodes like we did with Iron Fist and Luke Cage and all that. We, we got straight good eight episodes of WandaVision. And I think that those were important to setting up WandaVision's success. Oh, 100%. And I'll do yeah. one better. I think that Jessica Jones and Luke Cage as a whole were very, very good. I think the seasons one and three of Daredevil were excellent. And season two of Daredevil gives you Punisher. The rest of it wasn't necessarily good, but the Punisher stuff in season two was great. And Defenders was fine. And I guess for me, it's so funny, whereas you guys kind of felt the end of WandaVision, you kind of went on a a downslide. I did think I was going up, 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 up. And then it plateaued, but it never really dropped for me. It plateaued at a pretty high level. I was happy. Yeah. There's a a point I want to bring up, but I think it might lead to like, a new topic of discussion. So if you guys want to finish any last points on this, feel free to do so before. Um, sorry, my dog, my dog is going crazy. We all, we all, don't worry about it. We all got stuff. Yeah, go. Uh, what I was thinking about um, a bit for the last five minutes was that I watched WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier, or I'm watching Falcon Winter Soldier with my family. And my parents are not like they don't follow the MCU. Like, of course, they were with me on opening night at Endgame, and like you know, I made them watch the entire Infinity Saga. But I mean, like, I don't know. From like the second the second Wandavision started, my mom was like, "Who's the red guy?" Um, but uh, one thing I will say, and I think this speaks to how Wandavision was kind of set up, I guess, and like the storyline of it. I, I guess this this point speaks to a lot of WandaVision, but my, sorry again. Um, my, uh, I had a weird sense of WandaVision after Falcon and Winter Soldier came out because my parents love Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like they won't watch it. Like, I mean, they, they won't let me watch it unless they're sitting in the room with me. WandaVision, I, I actually had to gather them to watch the last episode because they didn't even want to. And 
they the second the credits rolled they were like that was a waste of my 45 minutes so just from a perspective of viewers who are not marvel fans and going back to what was said previously about we're forgetting how to watch a tv show and you know this is streamed on disney plus and people you know they see a new show pop up they're just gonna watch the show and i've always been curious to kind of analyze like how these projects are observed from an out like from you know the average person who's not into the mcu right. and you know i noticed that and yeah i would say that like with falcon winter soldier you know that's more of like a it's it's less connected to the rest of the mcu that wandavision is um uh, actually i take that back because a lot of falcon winter soldier has to do with the blip but um i don't know i just found it really interesting that you know my parents and you know they're two people but, um but i mean but, like but I, but it's interesting. And, and so, for one, for the fact of no spoilers, since people might not have seen Falcon and Winter Soldier yet, I think we're past the spoiler-free zone for WandaVision. And when yeah. tunes in for this, the hope is that they have seen the show. So, people that are watching this, and two, I haven't seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, but from everything that I've tried even not to hear, and then even when I think about a show like Luke Cage or Jessica Jones that deals with issues of gender or race, I think that given where we are as a country right now, it's not a shock that people, it's gonna be more accessible as WandaVision. I'm gonna like WandaVision or, or we're gonna like it or we're gonna be into it because we are comic book fans. We're reading the books, we're, we're into the MCU. So I think you're absolutely right. If you're not a comic book fan, you might not be able to get as excited about these things because you're like, oh, that's multiverse. Oh, they're going to bring in Doctor Strange. Oh, they're going to do, oh, they're going to bring in X-Men. Whereas these other shows, you cannot know anything about Luke Cage or Jessica Jones, but if, if you're talking about a misogynist culture and what Kill, uh, Killgrave did to Jessica Jones or racism in a bulletproof black man or the stuff that Falcon is going through, I think you'll be able to jump into those issues. Maybe that's it. what it is. Because I know other people that are absolutely right, that are not comic book fans that are hitting me up talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, have I seen it yet? Have I seen it yet? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think we can get into some of the writing stuff with WandaVision now. So one of the biggest differences for me between, between WandaVision and the rest of the MCU is one division deals with the main character being the bad guy like for all like a woman who traps thirty thousand people inside their own minds tortures them for weeks and puts them through every type of physical psychological and emotional trauma known to man is in no way shape or form the good guy in that story right that that is what at least to me one division was meant to be it was meant to challenge our perception of our heroes and say, well, what happens when our heroes go bad? What happens when they do the wrong thing? And one of my biggest gripes with WandaVision is, even though, again, I think anyone who does that to 30,000 people is a bad is a bad guy, they, there should be consequences for that, WandaVision doesn't touch those consequences with a 10-foot pole. And if anything, by the end of the show, Wanda is portrayed as the self-sacrificial, totally selfless hero even though she, she did terrible things throughout the show. Falcon Winter Soldier, on the other hand, 
I'd say 60% of the show is about the consequences of power and what it means to have power, to use power, to abuse power. That's very much at the heart of the show and at the heart of all these characters. I was wondering what, what you guys think about how WandaVision dealt with that or failed to deal with that. Um, I think that in terms of WandaVision, the aspect of power and good and evil was very relative. As we saw, there was like, Sword also somehow was the good guy and the bad guy, as we saw, because uh, we saw he tried, he, Sword created this new vision, or out of the old vision, but who's all white and programmed to sort of be the only vision and destroy the false vision. And so we sort of don't, there's like too many aspects, there's no right good or bad like there was in Endgame. Thanos was clearly the bad guy and our Avengers were the good guys. In WandaVision, it's sort of a pendulum swinging back and forth. And we sort of start off in the first episode, we don't know what's happening. We think that Wanda is sort of being controlled herself. And then we slowly develop into this area where we find out Wanda is actually the bad guy. And then we find that Sword has evil intentions. Then Wanda becomes a hero, giving up her all, all these like giving up vision, giving up her two kids, giving up her brother. And I think that the show actually did a decent job of sort of switching between good and bad for different characters. However, I think from a logical standpoint and sort of what we, um, when comparing to Falcon and Winter Soldier, there aren't these sort of, uh, there aren't these consequences for this sort of abuse of power. Like Wanda completely escapes off. I mean, granted she goes to the middle of nowhere in the end, but there are no consequences. As far as we know, no one's looking for her. No one's sort of trying to bring justice or we don't know what the consequences are to those people who she tortured that, mind you, this was an entire town under her control, mentally suppressed and bullied by her powers. So I think that if the show is gonna continue, it needs to address those aspects. Like, I think that an important part will be uh, what happened to those people. Like, you can't just leave it off. Those people, especially in the last few episodes, really made a point that they were being suppressed. Um, yeah. And I, I think that... No, I was just about done. All I was going to say is, A, WandaVision, unfortunately, is over. They're not making a, a second season. Uh, but B, I, one thing that was interesting in WandaVision is the only, the, the quote bad guy in the show is Agatha Harkins. She doesn't actually ever threaten um, innocent people. The only person she threatens is Wanda. The only time innocent people are in actual danger is from Wanda herself. The only time they're ever physically harmed is when in the finale, Wanda tries to kill every single person in the town square, which is a couple hundred people. So I think it is interesting. The show makes a point of demonstrating that the, that the written villain, in the only one that the show telegraphs as the villain, the only person she threatens is Wanda, whereas Wanda is a threat to everyone else. And again, the show doesn't ever deal with that. And so for me, as someone who is a huge fan of any storyline 
where the hero becomes the villain. So as you said, you're a DC fan. My favorite DC story is Injustice, right? Superman becoming, I love Injustice. Be- becoming a representation of, you know, the Nazis, right? Superman becoming as bad as it gets. I, I think that stuff is fascinating because it totally plays with our perspective of what our heroes should be and what we need to do to hold them accountable. Wanda's never held accountable. And the woman who's trying to stop her from injuring and killing all these people, she is the one who ends up being punished in the same way that all the innocent people were, right? She gets her memory wiped and what have you. So I don't know. I think for me, I, I, I don't know how WandaVision, I know how WandaVision could have done it better. Obviously it's too late to them to go back I can do that. I just, I expected Marvel, a, a company that is told some pretty complex stories in their day and has certainly evolved the way they tell stories through film and digital media over the past 10 years, I kind of expect them to tell a bit more of a complex story. Um, so I was disappointed when they did this. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. Also, I just want to, like, before I jump into my point, definitely agree with the fact that the good-bad dynamic of the show amongst a lot of characters was way too fluid. And yeah, de- I definitely agree that at times it was very hard to get a sense of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, who should I be rooting for. I want to go back to Wanda for a sec though. And, you know, as the main character of the show, another critique I kind of have is that I thought that she was very unrelatable mm-hmm. in general. And if you're going to have an unrelatable, a, a very unrelatable protagonist, I think you gotta have like that relatable side character and that just wasn't really there throughout the show. I I would say it was Quicksilver until you find out that he's just a college kid. Um, But you know, if you look back at any MCU um, movie, whether it's the protagonist or even sometimes like the antagonist, I feel like for the most part, you can kind of put yourself in their shoes or you could like, or you either you either put yourself in their shoes, you either idolize them, or you see part of yourself in them. And I think that that makes the viewing experience um, much more enjoyable. I just did not see that with WandaVision and with Wanda Maximoff. And I don't think it had anything to do with, you know, the fact that she was torturing 30,000 people and had in innocent town you know under lockdown i don't think it had anything to do with that i just thought that you know the this idea of like flipping between good and bad and then the show kind of like zooming out of her life and like at one point made monica rambeau the main character and the the show went in a lot of directions and i felt that wanda's emotional state too was something that, and you know, like I, I can't speak for everyone because you know, obviously there are people out there that have gone through serious emotional trauma. But for um, a lot of average viewers, it's kind of hard to put yourself in a situation where you're when where you've lost every, like literally everything. And yes, like we do deal with other MCU characters and even villains that have lost everything, and yet you can still, you know, sympathize with them. But something about Wanda Maximoff's portrayal in this specific show made it very hard for me to kind of reason with her and to understand where she was coming from and to even relate anything that she did to, you know, things in my own life. And I feel like that's a very important quality that should be had 
and just movies in general like if you forget about the mcu for a sec but even more specifically with the mcu i've i've noticed that with every mcu movie i've watched like from the, the worst to the best i've always you know related to at least one of the characters and i've always been able to insert myself into their life and like you know after seeing homecoming for the first time i walked out of the theater and i was like damn i wish i was tom holland like that was <laughs> but um even even yeah even with like mcu movies like i'm not that big not that crazy about um i don't know like i guess captain marvel for example i mean you know i there was a lot about captain marvel and the way that she was portrayed that you know i was able to relate to her and there was a lot of things that were there that i was like oh i see this quality myself or like, wow i thought that this 45 second scene was really cool but something about wanda maximoff's betrayal i just couldn't really couldn't relate i don't know about you guys but that that was my take on her as far as a protagonist so really quickly sort of two things in terms of villains totally and this is not a mcu or dc thing but i'm a big buffy the vampire slayer angel fan and one of my favorite characters in that series in that universe is angel slash angelus and the most fun episodes is when he turns evil and sort of you're grappling with literally you have the guy that's the most heroic but then he literally turns into hannibal lecter and what do you do with that or you take a look at the mcu the most relatable or the the mcu villain that was the most complex that we relate to the most is Killmonger um, from Black Panther. Like, you're like, oh, okay, I wouldn't do that, but I understand where he's coming from. And he makes sense. And it's like, okay, you know, or even though this is an MCU, this is Fox Marvel Magneto. Like, Magneto isn't even really a villain. He's like an anti-hero. So it's like, okay, like with Killmonger and Magneto, you're like, oh, okay. Or even Black Widow, like she's desperately trying to redeem herself. Like we know what her motivation is. So I do understand what you're saying there. It was, I guess it's sort of, in terms of that fluidity, I gotta be honest, my favorite moment in the show was when she comes out of the hex. And in that moment, she's, a little, she's, she's lucid and she knows what's going on. And she willingly still does it. Yeah. It made me not like her, and no, I didn't identify with her anymore. Because at first you can kind of identify with her because she's trying to figure out what's going on. But once she figures out and literally all the sights are on her and she flips it on everybody else, that was still cool. And in that sort of villain turn, at that moment she becomes the villain. Now not for very long, but she's clearly the bad guy again. But yes, I understand. Ironically enough, the, the character I identified most with um, was, was uh, Monica Rambeau. And the thing that made me identify with her the most is, I guess we saw her as a child in Captain Marvel, and then to wake up and we find out when she finds out that Maria Rambeau is dead. And so in that, I did have someone to relate to, at least for a little bit, because we don't even know who she is for a while. So we only get a chance to relate to her for a little bit and then she gets these powers. So, but I see what you're saying. No, and don't get me wrong. I don't think it was a, a, the fault of Elizabeth Olsen who I think did an amazing job. I think the acting was incredible throughout. I don't think there was a weakness. I think Elizabeth Olsen was great. I think I, I, overall, maybe besides like, and I was talking to Jordan about this, besides the twins, 
Otherwise, everyone's acting was awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. They weren't, they weren't horrible. They weren't great. But, oh, yeah. But, yeah. Acting like, was awesome. But Catherine Hahn was incredible. Uh, the, the actress that plays Monica Rambeau, I thought she was great. Um, uh, um, um, the character from Thor, I forget her name, the scientist. Darcy. She was great. Paul Bettany was great. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the guy who's great in everything. I love that guy. Uh, uh, Randall Park is his name. Oh, Randall Park. I support Randall, Randall Park. He is one of my favorite actors, just period. Like, he in Ant-Man and the Wasp, every time he was on Go. screen, I was rolling. So I thought that the acting was great. But I see your point. No. The only, I guess the only, the only time I identify with, with, with Wanda is when they do the flashback to Romania. Mm. And you're with her family, and you realize how she learned English, and the father was selling DVDs. I related to her then, but it was probably only then. But I, but it was, it did hit me emotionally at least. Was it something that affected me emotionally throughout the series? No. But that episode, it was the one time I wasn't mad with her. I think yeah, I think for me, so my favorite moment of the show personally is when we learn how Wanda ended up volunteering for Hydra and why she volunteered for Hydra and kind of the mythos behind Wanda Maximoff as a child when Catherine Hahn takes her through that whole mindscape and we see her and Vision watching, uh, I forget what's, I think it's Frasier or some sitcom, um, I forget what show they're watching. Um, and, and she, it's so funny because they did so many shows. I mean, you have I Love Lucy in there, Modern Family. I, I forget what show she's watching. Lunch, yeah. There were a bunch. That, Malcolm, Malcolm in the Middle. In the middle. Malcolm yeah. in the Middle. Yeah. That, that whole sequence to me, I thought was really poignant. Especially because Wanda, Wanda Maxwell as a character is one of the more extremist viewpoints in, the, in, in Marvel, right? In, in House of M, she is the bad guy pretty clearly in Age of Ultron. Uh, she adopted a rather, you know, a, a supremacist viewpoint. She's part of Hydra. Um, she is a she, she is a very complex character internally. So I think they did do a really good job exploring how she came. And then time out. Even in the MCU, if you take a look at Civil War. She's what it's, started it's, it. It's, it's characters, right. It's a character of her, well, one, she starts it, the accident. But even too, the fact that she's pretty much a, a a weapon of mass destruction, like she's widely considered to be one of the most powerful people in the MCU, and why they need to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought we did a very good job. I think I think we took the proper care, and they did it. We did it very thoughtfully. I, in terms of relating to people, I actually related most to Vision and Agatha Harkness, um, which may surprise which may surprise you guys. Vision, I think, is pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, he is kind of the vic one of the victims in that story, and he is just trying to figure out what's going on. And once he does, all he is trying to do is make it right. And Vision's entire thing, even at the cost of his own life, is to try to reason with Wanda to show her that there was a better path to deal He's, with the group. Vision, Vision in the story, the Vision she created is pretty much Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, like. Like he he is Frankenstein's monster. He's trying and trying to figure out why do I exist? Yeah, I, I thought they did a very good that. With Agatha Harkness, if you actually listen to what Agatha says when she confronts Wanda, her reasoning for trying to fight her is the exact same reasoning Tony had in Civil War. It's Wanda is a weapon of mass destruction. 
We have seen her kill innocent people, and until she knows her own strength, and until she has a better grasp of her power, we have to monitor her, regulate her, and worst case scenario, we have to take her power away. That's Agatha Harkness's reason. She may still be a bad guy. She may still be the classic, you know, evil, literally the classic evil witch, but her reasoning for it and her motive isn't crazy, especially when the main character of the MCU had the same reasoning for dealing with Wanda in Civil War. And so I do relate to, to I think in many ways, Agatha is a parallel Tony and Vision. She just wants to make things right, she simply goes about it the wrong way. But it, but she also wants power. I think that she does. She does want power, but it's not clear that she wants power for an inherently evil reason. Right? I think when they do the flashback to when she kind of killed her mom, though, I was that. It's a little bit. Yeah, hard I think. I, I think that I like splits a split second after you see someone kill their mom. I Fair mean, enough. Not, not a good not a good person not a good person but at least with regards to her and Wanda's story if you take that as a contained thing you can understand why she wants to stop Wanda uh, that, that was my only point I think that she more uses I, that's a whole another thing that will take a long time but um, I felt that the most relatable people for me were actually Kimmy Woo and um mm-hmm vision um randall park's character i think is definitely one of the greatest characters in the mcu especially i love the fact that this is such a small detail but they included the card trick from ant-man and the wasp into the show (laughs) and that just made me so happy (laughs) um i I, the second I, i saw you know like i don't know how um big you guys are on social media on Jimmy Woo memes period my entire Instagram feed and TikTok feed was just Jimmy Woo memes Mm -hmm. and Randall this and that and you know one thing I will say is and don't get me wrong I love Jimmy Woo's character you know I I always think that even you know like when the world's on fire in the MCU I think a bit of comic relief is always you know great for the viewer and I think in that show he does an amazing job at the, he fills that role perfectly. But one thing I will say is, I don't feel like Jimmy Woo is much of a character. I, I think it's the same effect that Kevin Hart has in his movies. I think it was just us seeing Randall Park in the MCU rather than. Oh wait, is it Park Randall or Randall Park? I keep asking. Randall Park. Randall Park. Randall Park. Yeah. Randall Park. I think it was more of Randall Park just being in the MCU rather than Randall Park portraying Jimmy Woo. I think that. This is a bit off topic, but whenever I watch any Kevin Hart movie besides The Upside, I always see Kevin Hart. And like, whatever character he portrays, it's like, it goes right over my head. Because I feel like he plays the same character in all of his movies. I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson's kind of in that category too. When I saw Jimmy Woo and I saw Randall Park, I was like, oh, this is just Randall Park being Randall Park now in the MCU. If you look at, you know, almost any other one of his like small cameos or projects in like any type of movie. He's always there making a witty comment or, you know, like making the audience laugh. And, you know, I, I thought that he kind of did the same thing in WandaVision. I didn't have a problem with it, just an observation. Sure. I, I kind of disagree. I think that that was the case when he was in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He was that small 
sort of cameo for comic relief. Um, but I think for WandaVision, he actually did a good job of being supporting character. Because uh, we don't see... Without, without his character, a lot of the plot just sort of falls. Like, he actually isn't a central person to the plot. Like, we don't have... Um, oh, why is her name blinking? Oh, Maria... Maria Hill. Yeah, her. we don't get her powers without Jimmy Woo. Oh, Maria Rambo. Oh, Maria oh, Rambo. Sorry, Rambo. Sorry. Rambo. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Monica Rambo. Monica, Monica Rambo. Monica. Monica. I yeah. thought you were talking about the woman who plays... Um, Kobe Smothers, uh, shield, oh, yeah, yeah. shield. So you, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 we don't get her character development. Like he's sort of, he he sort of acts like sort of like a catalyst for pushing forward the plot. Like I think um, every time there was a cutaway from Wanda, it was actually towards sort of Jimmy first talking, and so I think he was someone who was actually a very key. He played a key role in this show. And though he kind of did have that sort of same typical character, I think it was a little more than that. And there was actually some seriousness behind his character. I know this isn't a, a, a I Love Randall Park podcast, so I want to jump into, I'm a big Randall Park fan. I love that dude. And I, I'm, I'm going to take a look at three things. Maybe I'll change your mind a little. <laughs> so I look at the interview where he's evil. Like he's evil, Randall Park, but he was hilarious. Like amazing, absolutely. Amazing. He yeah. was he like every scene he was in, he stole the movie, right? But then you take a look at um, something where he's not as self-assured. That movie, um, always be my maybe, with mm-hmm. the and Keanu Reeves cameo, where he was self-deprecating and not sure of himself. Here, Jimmy Woo isn't. I don't. I. I it's funny. I don't see him. Yes, I see him as Randall Park because I like him as the actor, but Jimmy Woo is this fun youth pastor who has a healthy respect for superheroes, but in the same token is like, okay, superheroes can't just do whatever they want either. And I'm an FBI agent and I believe in the rule of law, but I'm also funny in this kind of quirky square kind of way, but I'm cool. I don't know. I really, I really like his character also because he's he's a human who is he's one of the few humans in the MCU that's given like a voice. Yeah. And he doesn't have powers, but he still gets stuff done. So that's why I kind of like him. And he's not, he, he's not like Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. He's completely relatable. Like, right. I don't, no one I think on this, unless you're like a very serious person relates to Nick Fury. Cause Nick Fury is this big higher up. Though he's human, he exerts a lot of power. His sort of ego he he gives off superhero vibes he has a mythos about him yeah Yeah. there's and i think that jimmy woo is one of those characters and he's unlike a shield agent like we actually see a more human person a shield agent we don't really see we we do see more humanity behind them but again there's some like they're kind of superheroes jimmy woo is this sort of ordinary guy we see trying to figure out what's happening with this completely ridiculous sort of takeover of a town this superhuman person sort of torturing everybody and he's just trying to figure out one okay how do i first escape sword how do i want maybe help her how do i help the people in there he's sort of that person 
we sort of he would be the person we would be had we been in his situation right i i, I expect jimmy Wu. i think i think he he is an interesting role going forward i expect he'll act as kind of a way to keep things grounded and relatable to the audience the one thing is and it's not Randall park's fault at all anytime you have jimmy Wu in a story it inherently makes the story it makes me as the audience not take the story as seriously and it's not because of his humor, because you know Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr. rather, very humorous guy. I took every single scene he was in very seriously. I think there's just something about Jimmy Woo and what we've seen of him thus far. Whenever he's there, it makes the story feel more like a comedy than something we should like really look at and quiz about. I think if, like if Jimmy Woo, for example, had been in Black Panther, I think it would have made the it would have really brought down the emotions in that movie. So I do think, while Jimmy Woo, I love him. I think he was a great character, and he, Randall Park did a superb job playing him in WandaVision. I think he should be used sparingly going forward, just because it's, it, it'd be a little weird, for example, to have the Avengers go up against Doctor Doom, and then Jimmy Woo has his own, Jimmy Woo has his own thing on the side. It'd be cool, say, if in the Fantastic Four movie, if they want to do it where the Fantastic Four are that team of sword astronauts that we did hear about that went missing after the blip in WandaVision, if they are going to be the Fantastic Four, maybe have Jimmy Woo investigating their disappearance. That could be cool. That, but, that, that's, that's but, but you hit it on its head, right? It's, I think that's the case for how you use any character. I, I, you know, no, Jimmy Woo is not necessarily going to fit into the Black Panther universe, per se, but he would have done great in a Thor Ragnarok situation, you know what I mean? Or does great in a WandaVision situation, especially given, remember, you, you have to, I think they almost had to insert some humor into it because we forget Wanda's torturing 30,000 people. <laughs> so you, you have to... You have to put in some comic relief or else, oh my goodness. Well, no, I, I, think, I think that's right. But like, I'm not sure Jimmy Woo would work in a Thor Ragnarok scenario right? or, or well, anything that's, that's so yeah. cosmic like that. I think, I think he's interesting because he is, first and foremost, he's really relatable because he is the, one of the only things in the MCU that crosses between fiction and nonfiction, right? Jimmy Woo could very well be a real-world FBI agent. It's yes. not crazy to assume that. Um, so I think that makes it, that's what, to me at least, makes this character so relatable, because I could see an FBI agent who acts exactly like Jimmy Woo does, who's serious when he needs to be, humorous when he needs to be, and what have you. So I think his role going forward should be, you know, if there's, any, if there's any MCU project that deals with the government or science, whatever, he could be there. I think there are characters like Falcon, Bucky, even Spider-Man, that work in any almost any MCU project. I, w I would have no problem if Shuri ends up taking up the mantle of Black Panther. If in Black Panther 2, Spider-Man shows up or Falcon, I that to me works. Or Bucky, who's been in Wakanda for a while, that to me works. If in Multiverse of Madness, Shuri were to show up as a brilliant vibranium uh, scientist and they need her help to make some multiverse machine or whatever, that to me works. Fighting Jimmy Woo showing up in either of those projects is very off-brand and almost like off-putting. It may just be me. That's just my own two cents. I don't know if 
Mr. Caldwell, I don't know if this is what you were getting at with saying that Jimmy Woo could fit in well in like a Thor Ragnarok type of movie. Were you talking about the plot or the like the the emotion of the movie? The, the emo, the humor. Oh, 100%. oh yeah. No, I was talking about the humor. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think, okay. yeah, like like you think about sort of um, uh, in, in Thor Ragnarok, for example, uh, Banner. When yeah, exactly. back to Banner, we're kind of you know he's trying to get put up to speed. He becomes the he the comic relief switches from Thor to Banner. Yes. These aren't my clothes. What's going on? Blah blah blah. You know, and it's all the funny stuff like you know, strongest Avenger, and he knows right away he's the strongest Avenger, and he's like, oh come on, you know, it's it's it's, and then you know, Banner jumps out of the ship and fall. You know, it's oh. it's it's it, it it works. So I think Jimmy Woo. No, I'm not saying necessarily on Ragnarok. But like the director of Thor Ragnarok, if if the stuff happened here, they could have worked. Or like if in Endgame, they would have sent Jimmy Woo to go get Thor. That could have been fun. You know what I mean? Like I think that I don't think you're wrong in that. It depends on the situation. I think that's the case of trying to make. You have so many of these heroes now in the Marvel yeah. universe. It's always trying to figure out which pieces fit, and that's not, that's something that Fox didn't always do. You know, and, and that's something they messed up. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Also, one really, really quick thing I wanted to bring up was in terms of finding relatable characters. One thing I completely forgot about Jimmy Woo's character was that. Um, do you guys remember the scene where? he kind of gets shut down and kicked yeah. out of the base. I feel like that was very relatable because it like, you know, it sucks to get called in for your job and then have like the big guys take over. And like, you know, we've all been there, you know, at some point in our lives, whether it's on a very micro or macro scale. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I had no problem with Jimmy. I love his character. Um, I just think that his character is very similar to Randall Park in real life. <laughs> you know, that's fine. Like, I'm, I'm cool. Like, if Randall Park wants to be in the MC, that's dope. Like, I have no problem with that. Um, and like I said, yeah, my my original take on it, it wasn't even an argument. It was more of just an observation. I just thought Jimmy Woo was very similar to Randall Park himself. But that being said, I mean, his character fits in so well to WandaVision and it actually carried certain aspects of the show. And like it you said, he's, he's a puzzle piece in the MCU that can go into a lot of different scenarios. And of course, you know, like if, you know, if Thanos came back for some reason, like obviously we wouldn't be making calls to Jimmy Woo right away. But I mean, you know, his puzzle piece works in to so many different Marvel ideas, plots. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen the Phase Four lineup, and I can think of at least five projects where he can yeah. fit in perfectly. One hundred percent, exactly. For like a cameo or even a bigger role. I mean, his character holds a lot of power, not only from an MCU perspective, but also from a movie perspective in general. Like, you need that comic relief that you yeah. can relate to, and that ties things together, and you know, serves as like the glue piece for you know, that whatever aspect of the movie he's a part of. So yeah, I definitely agree. I, I'd love to see him in some future projects. I know he's supposed to be coming up in Quantumania and, you know, I'd love to see him in, um, you know, at least one or two more projects in this phase. 
Well, so. it's so interesting too to see how they deal with sort of quant, uh, a comic relief getting turned serious. Now, obviously, we're all holding our breath waiting to see what they do with Black Panther, but Shuri is the comic relief in Black Panther. Like Shuri is the one that keeps us laughing through all the serious stuff. Like once again, so we're we're talking about some serious racial stuff in Black Panther throughout the whole movie. It's Shuri that keeps us laughing throughout the movie because Black Panther's the straight guy. Killmonger is the guy we're supposed to relate to and be like, oh wow, he has a point, but he's also evil. <laughs> but then again, he's not so evil. So it's 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 Shuri that keeps us laughing. And the key is the one that's like, I don't know if you guys ever saw the honest trailer, it's like, wasn't she arguing for the same thing that Killmonger was arguing the whole time, but in a much nicer way? And of course they didn't listen to the woman, they listened to him. And it's like, wow, that's Wow, that's messed up. But the point is, or then you take a look at Ned in Spider-Man, who might be Hobgoblin. So it's like, you know, what, what happens then when they take the, the comic relief then and they're going to shift? And obviously, you know, sort of social media, this I have been following, and it sort of was this the plan, like his whole body transformation in real life, is that leading up to Hobgoblin? You know, well, what, what, two things that I thought were really interesting. Number one is Marvel actually announced today they will not be using a CGI Chadwick Boseman, nor will they be recasting. So it looks like it most likely will be Shuri as right. Black Panther. Um, Which goes with the comic book, because yeah. Shuri was Black Panther at one point. Right. Yeah, so uh, they could always go, they've introduced a new Wakandan character in, in Falcon Winter Soldier. They could always make her Black Panther, I think it'd be a mistake, because she, as, she is as side of a side character as it gets. Um, so I, I, I'd personally fine with Shuri. She's also with a dark Ned, Elijah, so with, with Ned as Hobgoblin, um, one of the one of the people working on No Way Home, that's what, No Way Home, no way did home. say that Ned Ned quote loses it completely in No Way Home. So I I do think we are going to get to see him as a villain, um, which would be pretty cool, hopefully. But yeah, I think I, I think Marvel is starting to lead into that territory of kind of more um, subversive, subversive plots, especially when it comes to characters that we consider the unabashedly good, constant, you know, uplifting comic relief centers in these films. One hundred percent. I guess it's so funny, right? You take a look at Marvel, just MCU movies, like. The, the best ones, in my opinion, are the ones where they got just, and they, it's Disney, so it's not completely subversive, but Captain America Winter Soldier, like that was like, wow, you know, or um, even Ragnarok and the humor. I mean, it's, it's, it's the humor is actually dark humor, yeah. but it's funny, it's, it's just dark humor. And then um, Black Panther, like, you know, they, they, those are where you get sort of massive amount of money also meeting critical acclaim. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, so my two, my favorite MC movie is the original Iron Man. The, oh, yeah. The plot of Iron Man is nothing lighthearted. Like, a man is kidnapped by a set, what is essentially Marvel's Al-Qaeda, and... He's a weapons dealer. He's a, he's a weapons dealer. And he's all right. He's not a, he's not a good guy. Yeah, Tony's tech. Like, there's nothing lighthearted about the plot of Iron Man, but through watching Tony Stark develop and, and Robert Downey Jr.'s incredible performance and, you know, kickstarting the MCU, you end up loving the character and, for me, as I end up loving the movie. 
with No Way Home, the plot of No Way Home would make for an incredibly serious Oscar grab movie. A man is falsely accused of murder and there's a manhunt out for him. Like, I think of a million ways that they could have made that not part of Marvel and probably gotten, gotten some serious um, awards recognition. But that's being part of Marvel and portrayed by like a 25-year-old kid, right? Who, who, at least since his introduction in Civil War, was Marvel's center of comic relief in all of their projects. Yes! So I, I, I'm personally really excited for No Way Home, even outside of the potentially Spider-Verse nature of the film, I'm excited to see how Marvel takes a super serious plot and does it in a way with the comic relief being opposed to it. Even WandaVision, Wanda, Mat Wanda Matsumoff and Vision were never comic relief characters, but their relationship was always very lighthearted. And funny. One, Wanda is holding Vision against his will. She wipes his memory, wipes his emotions, and holds him hostage, and then fabricates two children <laughs> to guilt trip him into playing along with it and allowing for 30,000 people to go through this torment. There's nothing lighthearted about that at all. But Marvel still wanted to do it to make that more complicated. And kind of it was also but it just artistically speaking to take you on this journey through yeah. episodic tv in an age where there is no more episodic tv is brilliant and yeah. like, like i said i that's why i think the show hits so well more than it misses just because it actually does take a lot of risk i mean to, yeah. to execute the show through episodic tv when there is no more episodic tv for the most part yeah so i think for me I am both, interestingly, so both WandaVision and Falcon and Soldier have big moments in their fourth episodes. Um, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't know about that. I haven't seen them. I oh, yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah, I'm not, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, they have big moments in their fourth episodes, period, right? I think in both of those cases, had I been able to watch episode five right then and there, totally would have ruined the experience. I think you, for, for shows like that, and for other shows too, for things like you know, The Walking Dead, older shows, Breaking Bad, The Wire, these monumental pieces of TV, I think there is something to be said about the benefits of watching something and then take, taking it in for a week uh. with what's happened, coming to terms with it, and then coming back the next week and, and with a fresh mind say, okay, I processed what happened last week, now let's see how the story progresses. I think that's a very different, for me, a much more enjoyable experience than watching it and not even giving my brain the time to think about it because, quite frankly, I don't need to. There's no reason for me to think about it since I'm going to learn exactly what happened in about five minutes. So I think Marvel definitely made the right call by making it a long-form episodic thing. And I think WandaVision was clearly a test run. I think from a numbers perspective, it worked out well for me. It became the most watched oh. show in the world. Oh. Oh my goodness, 100%. Um, I, I, I think they're definitely, even with Falcon Winter Soldier, I suspect with Loki, they're going to improve upon that format. They're going to bring it to new heights. And I wouldn't be surprised if going forward in the MCU, we see you have the kind of movie MCU and the TV MCU. And obviously the TV MCU will play a major role, but they could just keep this these TV shows going and say, look, Here's going to be our three big movies for the year. Here are four new seasons or four new one-season shows to keep you all satisfied in the interim. And, and that may work for them. 
they may prove that you can uphold a film universe and do TV stuff alongside it, and you're not gonna divert and divulge the fan base. Definitely agree with that, for sure. And one thing I wanna bring up about WandaVision in general was that WandaVision had people talking. Yeah. Yes. Way through. And it doesn't matter if you liked the end or you hated the end or you didn't like the show at all or whatever. People were talking. I mean, there was like, you know, and this is with COVID, by the way. There was groups of like 20 kids smack in the middle of the library, you know, like 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 a bunch. Like everyone was just rambling off theories and like talking about like what's next and what's coming up and like, oh my gosh, this episode was crazy and you know, I, I can't wait for next week. You know, I'm in, I, there was like watch party group chats and everything because there was just so much to unpack there. And regardless of it, regardless of if it lived up to the hype or not, I think that in terms of getting people excited about Marvel again and getting people talking, Marvel hit that straight on the head and they did, and WandaVision did that perfectly. And yeah, looking back on it, you know, at least for me, I I don't think about WandaVision as like a, a monumental Marvel um, project, um, at least in my, for at least from my point of view, but it had people talking and some of the excitement and the hype around certain aspects of the show was arguably as big as some of the hype surrounding some of the major MCU projects. I mean, I know I keep going back to this, but the second we saw Evan Peters come on, I mean, that, like, Twitter had a field day with that. Um, I mean, Jordan called me the second, oh, no, sorry, I called Jordan the second it happened, and I was like, you need to call me the second that credit scene roll. No, I was like, the second you see, please stand by, I was like, you need to call me right away. And he called me and we were on the phone for like two hours about it. And we, you know, after every single episode, we were just talking and, you know, creating theories and like, you know, watching YouTube videos to see what other people were thinking about it. I mean, the, the hype around it was definitely there. Now, that being said, I think that there, there was definitely a shift in people's opinions on the show and their mindset after it finished. But as far as the eight week experience, mm -hmm. WandaVision did its job and yeah. WandaVision did its job perfectly. And I will say, I said, I didn't like the show. I loved the experience. The yeah. experience, yeah, fair, right. the experience right. was phenomenal. I love being excited about something. It's so nice to wake up on a Friday and be like, today's WandaVision. Um, that's what Friday became for me. And you know, it, it was something to look forward to. It was something to talk about. It was something to think about. Um, you know, the last time I was really hyped about something was Endgame. That was a one-year hype. Also, only Jordan knows this, but Infinity War was what got me into Marvel. Fun fact. So I wasn't even that big into Marvel until I got my heart broken by Infinity War and then watched the entire MCU after that. So the second I like caught up with the MCU, you know, it was about the end of the summer, and every single day my search history was uh, Endgame trailer release date, Endgame trailer release date. So, like, it was something to build up to, and it was something to talk about, and it kept people on their feet. And, you know, having a lot of big Easter eggs and, you know, big possibilities uh, for the future in the, of the MCU in WandaVision had people talking, and it reminded me a lot of that 
experience leading up to Endgame. And it was definitely nice to kind of get that excitement and mystery back. So the experience itself, and I think Falcon Winter Soldier is doing a very good job at this too. The experience has been really, really, it was a great experience. And I think Marvel is definitely going in the right direction in terms of getting fans excited of their newer projects. So I yeah. think this is a good point. I feel, I feel bad because we have to stop now. And I feel bad. the only reason we have to stop is Mr. Cole's a grown up and I have to cook dinner. <laughs> really girl. But let's wrap up though. Let's, um, what would your final grade for WandaVision be? As a show? As a, As show. a show, yeah. Just Ooh. on its own, final grade, A through F. You know, minuses and stuff count too. So you can do a A plus, A minus, B plus, C minus, whatever. Um, I think on a first watch basis, um, I give it a 92. I think okay. it's an A minus. Okay. I honestly think that um, had it not been overhyped, maybe my uh, my grade would have been higher. I think it was a good show overall, but um, I think that the fact that it was so hyped up really disappointed my expectations and therefore it lowered sort of what I saw. I'll go, I'll go last. Miss uh, Pablo Ray, you guys can go first. I honestly gotta go with the C plus on this one. Whoa! Very, very low. Hot take! I will say, if it wasn't for my expectations being shattered, would have been much higher. I feel like I was just waiting for something to happen that never did. And that was the Doctor Strange. I was waiting for Doctor Strange. I was waiting the second the show started. I was waiting for him to show up, and it never happened. And it was like, this is going to be the week. This is going to be the week. And also, yeah, that and the Evan Peters, um, you know, being a joke, I that really, really killed it for me. That's why it's as low as a C plus. I don't, I can't comment much about it as a TV show in general because I have only seen it once. I'm still a little emotionally messed up after not having a Doctor Strange cameo, so I, <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to rewatch yet. But uh, C plus as a show experience, I'm giving it. I'm just gonna throw this in. Experience was probably like a 94, somewhere like okay. right between A minus and an A. The experience was great as a show. C plus. Okay. I would, I would give it an A minus as well. Like uh, a, a 92. Um, I thought the acting was phenomenal. I, I thought that, that was great. Like I said before, just in terms of, obviously, I know that the movies or the TV shows are never gonna do everything exactly like the comic book. So what are you hoping for? You're hoping that you get the essence of the books. And I thought that with um, uh, Monica Rambeau um, and uh, uh, Vision and with Wanda, that they got the essence of those characters. And I thought that that was really, really good. Um, I, I like the artistic risk they took with sort of taking you through this world through different episodic TV through the decades. And I didn't know why they were doing that at first. And when they tell you why, that made sense. And we tied it in together. So it wasn't just a gimmick. Like I said, I'm a big fan of Randall Park. So anytime he's in something, I get excited because he's funny and he's a really good actor. And um, like I said before, I thought Elizabeth Olsen was great. And I thought the dialogue was great. I was never bored and there was no filler. 
Um, the reason that I give it an A minus, not an A, and this is sort of nitpicking, A minus is still a good grade. Um, uh, Wanda doesn't, and I get it, she's gonna escape. There are no real consequences yeah. for her. Um, and unlike some other heroes that we've, we as an audience are just asked to forgive, we as an audience are asked to identify with her sacrifice and I did I'm like okay you just at the very least it's sort of we're even <laughs> I, I don't feel too bad for her um and no other than that little plot point I was I was happy with it but once again and the other reason I give it an A minus not an A oh Evan Peters thing once again there were ways they could have done that. They, they could have used that as an opportunity to introduce X-Men. They could have used that as an opportunity to introduce Mephisto, um, which would be interesting for Spider-Man later on. And they didn't, it was sort of a, that whole thing to set up a pretty juvenile joke that, that brought it down. But other than that, I thought it was great. I think, so I think for me, I give it a B minus. Um, I think for me, WandaVision was supposed to be Marvel's way of saying, even without Tony, even without Cap, even without the the faces of the MCU, the people that whenever you think of a superhero, it's Batman, Superman, and then Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, right? Every time you think of Marvel, you think of Robert Downey Jr. Even without that, we can still put out content that makes fans happy, that makes fans excited, and that keeps the MCU at the forefront of global pop culture, which it had been for 10 years. And I think WandaVision sort of did that. I, I, I mean, Abel said, he said it best, it got people talking, and that's right. I think WandaVision definitely didn't bring the MCU down, but I don't think, at least right now, it did that much to push the MCU forward. I thought it was fine. I think there are a lot of things from a writing perspective that we've talked about that just rubbed me the wrong way and really brought down my enjoyment of the show. And I think knowing now that Marvel is willing to take risks as we've seen in Falcon Little Soldier and they take some massive risks in that show that really pay off. To me, I think it's shocking that they didn't take risks in a show all about subverting expectations mm. and changing how we think of these characters. I enjoyed Elizabeth Olsen. I think she's an amazing actress. I thought that was great after Randall Park. I loved all of them. I thought they did a very good job. I think there's so much in this show that I would have done differently. I think that Marvel should have done differently. And there's a lot about the show that still makes me uncertain for the future of the MCU, um, especially since if, if, if that's what we're going to be in kind of this B minus territory, how long and how, how long can we really survive and how invested am I really going to be in another 10 years? I don't know. Um, but I think overall, it, it wasn't poor. I think it was a solid, a solid B minus. Really quickly, um, Jordan, do you want to tease? next week and then i will do the trigger warning now because i think this is great whenever we need to do a trigger warning i think i'll just do it at the end of yeah, this sure. that people can know if they even want to tune in so why don't you tease the topic for next week yeah so next week we're going to be talking about zack snyder's cut of the justice league 
Um, for those who don't know, the original Justice League came out in 2017 and was absolutely abysmal. Uh, and it immediately started a social media battle cry to have Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League, which he had to leave after his daughter committed suicide. Um, it, there was an immediate cry for his cut of the movie to be shown to audiences. And after a massive three-year-long social media marketing actor-director Hollywood campaign, Warner Brothers finally greenlit him to finish his movie. He did. He premiered the four-hour-long film on HBO Max. Uh, so we will be going through probably the first part of that uh, right. in the podcast next week. We're going to be talking about, obviously, themes of suicide with Zack Snyder's daughter. There's also been a lot of controversy around the film uh, as Ray Fisher has accused the director Joss Whedon who stepped in when Zack Snyder left. Ray Fisher has accused him of overtly uh, racist actions and it seems that Joss Whedon is also now guilty of some incredibly sexist and in general horrible things like threatening people's careers and that. So there will be a lot of discussion around right. uh, those social issues, in particular sexism, racism, and suicide, um, which may bring up emotions in any listeners watching. So for those of you who don't want to tune in for that, uh, there's, your, there's your warning ahead of time. We'll have to another one in that episode before we actually get into it. But yeah, that, that's what's on the docket for next week. Zach, so thank, thank you, Jordan. So yes, trigger warning once again, next week's episode will deal with, as Jordan just said, themes of Suicide, racism, sexism, misogyny, abuse. Um, we will be talking about the fun stuff of the actual movie. We are gonna have fun, however, as we talk about the creation of why we even got this four issue cut, why Zack Snyder had to leave. It's very possible and most likely that we will be touching on some of these issues. So please trigger warning for those that tune in for next week that we will be bringing up those issues. With that, that concludes the first episode of Excelsior. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Bye.